Take your Bibles this morning and turn to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to talk about virtue this morning. The title of this morning's message is Addition and Multiplication. Take a little bit of time to self-judge and kind of uh, evaluate ourselves and See how that we can add um, virtue to our lives, um, hopefully multiply it in our lives. Seems as humans we put a lot of focus on value or net worth, typically judging outward things. But God, He puts a premium on virtue in a believer's life. Think about in the Bible and Proverbs, I know we talk about Proverbs a lot, the wisdom and understanding and knowledge you get from Proverbs, but in Proverbs chapter 31, the Bible talks about the virtuous woman. And the Bible says there that the virtuous woman is far more valuable than rubies. Far more, you can't put a price priceless, you can't put a price tag on it. And it's not just for women, it's, it's for men also and for young people that God likes, uh, is pleased with the virtues in our life. It's interesting, I, I didn't really understand this or know this till studying about this, that in Webster's 1828 dictionary, the first definition for virtue is strength. Strength. It's a, it's a power you know, when someone talks about a, a vice in their life, something that's harmful to them, something that hurts their life, an addiction or something like that, and, 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 and that's the extreme but even less severe, what do they call that? Don't they call that, that's my what? That's my weakness, right? That's the opposite of virtue. It's a weakness. You know, my weakness would be uh, ice cream sandwiches or just ice cream. Or any type of, uh, yeah, any type of uh, dessert that's frozen. When I was in India, I found kufi. I think that was the only thing that was cold. It, they, they called it ice cream, but it, it wasn't ice cream, but it was cold and it was sweet, and I did like it while I was there. But virtue is, an, is a power to abstain from immorality or, 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 or a vice, something that's harmful. It comes from a Latin word which implies strength through straining, stretching, or extending. Actually, the second definition for virtue is, is bravery or valor. And so, uh, it's interesting how virtue is used in the Bible. In Luke, the Bible talks about the multitude. In Luke 6.19, it talks about the whole multitude sought to touch Him. Talking about Christ. For there went virtue out of him and healed them all. That made more sense to me when I understood that virtue was power, was strength. When you think of the virtue that Christ had in him, when people touched him, the power and strength over disease to heal them. You think of the story that's in a couple of the Gospels of the woman that had that issue of blood for 12 years and had spent all that she had and was no better. And she said to herself, hey, if I might but touch the hem of his garment, I should be made whole. And the truth of the matter is, when she did touch the hem of his garment, she was made whole. And Jesus said, I perceived 
that virtue had gone out of me. The power over these things, power over disease had gone out of him. How, how can we add this in our life, add or even have multiplied this strength and power which is Christian virtue? You're open to Second Peter chapter 1. We're just going to read down through this passage this morning. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. The Bible says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior through Jesus Christ. You know what? We're here today where we're of like faith. We're of like precious faith. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. That makes us that makes us like-minded because of Jesus Christ, because of the faith that we have in Him. Verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. He says grace and peace be multiplied. You know, virtue brings peace. In our lives. If we have power over immorality, power over vice in our life, this brings peace. Think of the opposite. That when we are in bondage and when we are enchained to a sin or immorality, you know what it brings? It does not bring peace. That is not one of the fruits of one of those things. It brings pain in our lives. But he says they want grace to be multiplied. Do you want grace multiplied in your life? You know, we've said it here before, grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. It is the blessing, it is the goodness of God. That's what grace is, the blessing and goodness of God that we do not deserve. We want that multiplied in our life. We're talking about that, about uh, adding things and multiplying things in our life. The Bible says where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Aren't you, aren't you thankful this morning that no matter what sin that you uh, have in your life, that God's grace is greater than those sins? God's grace is... That's amazing grace, isn't it? That's amazing grace. You know, the person that wrote Amazing Grace, was his name was John Newton. And John Newton, he was actually a, a wicked ship captain that was involved in slave trade. And one night in a storm, during a storm where he actually thought he was going to lose his life and lose the ship, he cried out to God for mercy and cried out to God for salvation. And that night, John Newton was converted. Later convicted of his sin, he turned from that business and became a, a, Bible, a Bible school student. But right after his conversion, he went in and that storm that night had messed up his ship. And while his ship was being repaired, he penned the words to the first verse of this song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. John Newton said, I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Amen. I think of another song talking about grace as grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace 
that is greater than all my sin. That's the grace of God that can be and is multiplied to us. And you say, how is that multiplied to us? How is that given to us? It's given to us. It says right there in that verse. Look at this. Verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the what? Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. How are we going to have that grace multiplied to us? Through the knowledge of who? Knowledge of God. Knowledge of Christ Jesus. You know what knowledge is? It's just a clear, certain perception of what is truth and what is fact. It's having illumination of mind. It is learning about something. And so, if you put that into context, knowledge of Christ, if we are learning about Jesus Christ, if we're learning about God, you know what we are? We are growing in grace. To learn about Christ, in other words, Peter says, in other words, to learn about Christ and to learn about God is to have grace multiplied in your life. To know who He is and understand who He is. That takes me to another song that says more. More about Jesus would I know. More of His grace to others show. More of His saving fullness see. More of His love who died for me. More. More about Jesus. Shouldn't that be our shouldn't that be our desire? You know, so many times we in our Christian life we we want to learn more about uh, uh, certain things, but boy, to learn about Christ and to grow in a relationship with Christ and grow in a relationship with God, this this should be our testimony, right? This should be our story. You know what our story is? If you're in here this morning and you've been saved. If you've been born again by the grace of God, you know what your story is? It's about Christ. Your testimony is about the grace of Christ in our life and what He has done for us. What grace you and I have experienced. Boy, we, if we got what we deserve, I know God is just and God is holy and, and He is a judge. But because of Jesus Christ, He is able to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us and make us clean. My goodness, you and I, we don't want justice in our life. We should be thankful and wonderfully thankful for the grace of God. Look at uh, verse 3 of 2 Peter chapter 1. It says, According as His divine power hath given unto all uh, us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. He said that for those that are believers, for those that are of that like faith, that precious faith, that He's given us this divine power. We have what we need inside. You say, how do I, have, how do I grow? How do I add this virtue? Uh, when we have the power of Christ in us, when we have the power of God in us, That is divine power. We truthfully have all that we need. He says that leads to life. That leads to eternal life. You talk about power. Power that can bring eternal life. You know, we we believe the miracle of of God speaking uh, this world into existence and this earth into existence and all those sort of things, the sun and the moon and the stars. And that's power. But let me just say that the Bible tells us that that is not going to last forever. 
But for those that have been born again and received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and have taken of that divine nature, the divine nature of Jesus Christ, you know what He has created? He has created you to be eternal. That is power. You say, how can I grow in virtue? Uh, Tap into the power source that we already have available to us. He's called us to these things. He's called us to glorify Christ and God will glorify Himself through us. He's called us to this virtue. Look at verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Those are some... He says, through that divine power, through Christ, through the knowledge of, of Him, there has been given to us exceeding great. Exceeding great. He doesn't just say great. <laughs> he says exceeding great and precious promises that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through the lusts. You know, He has made us some promises, and these promises that He's given us are exceeding great. I think of the promise where He says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. But we're not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Isn't that an exceeding great promise? I don't know that you could have a better promise given to you. That is an exceeding great promise. You know your future is so bright because of the promises of Christ. And the Bible also says that He's not slack concerning His promises as some men count slackness. You know what? God keeps His word. If He's made us a promise and He's made promises to us, then you know what? They're going to come to pass. We're going to experience the blessing of those things. He says that we've become part of this divine nature. I don't, I don't know how that in our minds we can understand that. I, I know from time to time we understand how sinful we are. Sometimes the thoughts that go through our mind and sometimes the things that we think, we can understand that, man, wow, I can't believe I just thought that. I can't believe that that just came into my mind. Uh, and it's a, it's a reminder to us of the sinful nature, right? But if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have another nature that is divine. And, and I don't know if this will help you or boost you, uh, your spirits a little this morning, but if you've been born again, you've got a nature in you that is, is of Jesus Christ, that's sinless, that's perfect, that God does not impute sin to part of Him that is a divine, wow, eternal. These promises that He's given us. He says in that verse 4 that we were we have able to escape. I think of what the promise that He gave us that there's no temptation taking you but such is common to man, but will with uh, that make a way to escape, right? All of us, we, we're going to face temptation, but God says with that, God will make a way for us to escape. That's virtue. That's virtue in our lives to be able to escape those snap, those traps, those snares that'll that'll harm us, that'll hurt us. He says that he'll help us through that power of Christ in him will help us to be able to escape those things. You know, to be able to just escape ourselves. And the temptation that just comes naturally, escape this world in the lusts of this world. This world, I don't know, I think this 
the world, maybe it always has been, but it's just going crazy. It really is. I, what, what seems wrong is right now, and what's wrong, you know, it's flip-flopped. It's just a mess. It absolutely is. But the Lord said, hey, I made a way for you to escape all that. If you've been born again, you know what you've escaped? This would make us all happy. We've escaped hell. We've escaped hell. You say, uh, what are you talking about hell for? I, I got to think about this uh, the other day, and it was reminded of it, that no one in the Bible, no one in the Bible spoke more of the dangers and the warnings of hell than Jesus Christ. And the truth of the matter is, no one knew more about it than Jesus Christ. And he says, hey, I will make a way for you to escape. The cross of Christ is a way to escape. And let me say, if you've escaped that this morning, in the, in the picture and type of knowing the ark, if you've entered into the ark and you're saved from the flood, the wrath of God, my goodness, what a, what a thing to rejoice about. What a thing to be happy about. That, hey, my eternity is secure in Christ Jesus. Doesn't that bring some peace of mind, some help that, hey, not only am I victorious in eternity, but Christ has empowered me that really I believe that we can be victorious here on earth in our Christian lives. We don't have to, to go from, from one uh, trap and one state of, of, of sinfulness to another through the power of Jesus Christ. He can set us free from these things as we grow in our virtue and walk with Him. Look at verse 5. He says, and beside this, giving all diligence. So he's telling believers to be diligent about something. Add to your faith virtue. In other words, you know, I believe Christ gives us faith. I believe that God gives us faith. And when we accept Him, He has given us faith that is not sight. When we believe on Christ, He's given us that faith. But then, after we've done that, after we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, He says, be diligent, be diligent to add some things to our Christian life. That's what we're talking about this morning. Adding, growing, multiplying in our personal walk with Christ. In other words, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible pictures that as a babe, right? A babe in Christ. In other words, don't stay there. Don't stay in that state. Feed on the, on, on the Word of God. Eat, grow, mature, add to your life, grow in your life. And, and just as salvation is free and is a work of God, and, and He works in our lives, I believe that we become co-laborers with Christ in our growth. In other words, if we're not diligent to add to our faith, if we're not intentional to grow with walk with the Lord, then I believe that uh, we become what? Sad. But I believe that if we become intentional to or diligent to add to our faith and grow, then we add and He what? Multiplies. I believe we add a little bit and He multiplies it. We give a little bit, we seek the Lord a little bit, and then He multiplies it. I don't believe that we can grow in our Christian life without Him. I don't believe that at all. Okay? He empowers us, He blesses us, He gives us all the tools and enables us to do it. But He does expect us to do it. Would you guys agree with that? That there's, a, there's, there's both ways. You can't just lay there and not do anything and expect to grow in your faith with Christ. You might tell the truth. We have to be diligent to add to it. We have to be intentional to add to our faith. And He says there's some things to add to it. 
some things to season our Christian life, if you will. He says, besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. We already talked about what virtue is. It's strength. It's the power to say no to those things that will hurting us. He says, and, and to virtue, knowledge. Now, he already told us twice in this passage what kind of knowledge. You know, earthly knowledge sometimes puffs up. Right? Sometimes earthly knowledge will puff us up, but the knowledge of the Lord, the knowledge of God, learning about Jesus does not, should not result in us being proud. It should result in us being humble. That the, the God of the universe loved us. Like David said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Wow. When we understand who God is and then realize that he does love us and he does want to have a relationship with us, I don't know, I think that should naturally be humbling. He says temperance. Look at that. And to knowledge temperance. You know, temperance is moderation. It's restraint from indulgence. It's really, it's really staying out of the ditches on both sides of the road. It's really being able to temperance. A lot of times, a lot of times uh, I've heard, I heard a man say this one time, made a lot of sense to me, that if the devil, if he can't get you into, into sin... And destroy your life that way, then he'll take you to the extreme the other way and make you a you know a religious zealot that's just uh, hurting people in a ditch that way. The, the, it's, it's temperance. Temperance is in the middle of having that grace of the Lord and love the Lord and, and not being uh, uh, having it's having moderation. And let, let me say this: when you have knowledge, you need moderation. Because knowledge without that moderation could be destruction. He says, uh, into that temperance, patience. A patience, we always say this, patience is a what? Is a virtue. And it is. Patience is strength in your life. Uh, those that can withstand temptation. Those that with, can withstand uh, hardships. Uh, those are patience. We talk about the patience of, of Job. And then he says in godliness. Look at that. He says... And the, and the temperance, patience, and patience, godliness. Godliness is adhering to God's laws. It's, a, it's, a, it's adhering to God's will. You know what I don't want to see happen to my country? Is us to be a godless country. You know, godliness is good. Godliness brings peace. Godliness Adhering to God's laws is not like is not like He's lording over us, saying, "I want my subjects to do all these sort of things." It is Him saying, "As your Creator and as your Father, I know it's good for you." And to turn away from godliness is being rebellious and saying, "I want to do it my own way," and it's a stiff neck and a hard head, and say, "I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what." God's laws say, I don't care what God's will is. And never, ever, ever in history of, of, of mankind has that ever ended well for anybody. Has it? But in our own personal life, we can say, hey, godliness. The Bible says godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. You want to gain a lot? Find out what God's will is, what God's law is. 
Abide by it. Be content. He says this. To patience, godliness, verse 7. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. Having love for each other and the family of God. This is unity. This is... this. And by the way, unity is powerful. When you're in unity together, you are... Yeah, that is powerful. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 9, Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, but as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Jesus said to His disciples that by your love for one another will all men know that you are My disciples. We, you can't... You can't... Look... You cannot be full of the love of God and the fruits of the Spirit and hate a brother in Christ. The love of God, it's like what? It's like saying, it's like saying part of your heart's full with hate and the rest is full with light. It's impossible. We couldn't in this room have a dark spot over there, but the rest of it be bright light. When the light is bright, when the Lord's working in our lives, we can forgive. We can, we, can, we can still love our brothers in Christ. Sisters in Christ. Brotherly kindness. You know, just kindness. That's In Ephesians, it says that kindness is, is, is a part of the result of being spirit-filled and spirit-led. Right? Bitterness and those anger and wrath are the opposite of it. You know, so many believers, so many Christians... Um, uh, try to act like they're spiritual and try to act like they're uh, some sort of authority in, in the Christian life and in the Christian walk, but yet they hate their brothers and sisters in Christ, or maybe don't hate them, but they certainly have anger toward them and wrath toward them. As we grow in our Christian life and as we grow in our walk with Christ, we have to have brotherly kindness. Being kind to one another. You know, kindness goes a long way, right? Just kind. Being nice to each other. That's what that means. Could you imagine how that would affect our homes? If you were just kind. You know, sometimes it's easy to be kind to the stranger in the store and then not so much at home, right? We're all guilty of that. That's all, it's easier the people that we love and the people we're close to to see the real us, right? But we shouldn't do, we should, we should strive for having the Holy Spirit work in our hearts so that, hey, there's brotherly kindness. If your spouse is a believer, then she's your sister in Christ, or she, he's your brother in Christ in the sense of all in the family of God. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 1, he says this, let brotherly love continue. You know what I would say a good vision for this church would be? Let brotherly love continue. Don't let it stop. In other words, hey, let's be kind to each other, let's love each other, uh, but don't allow anything to get it and hinder that, stop that, break that. Let it continue. So a year from now, two years from now, and five years from now, let brotherly love continue. I believe that that would be a good testimony of, a, of the church of Jesus Christ, that the people in it didn't hate each other and fight each other. What do you say to the world? You know? That, hey, well, look at that church. They all actually like each other. That doesn't mean that we all have the same interests. It doesn't mean that we all come from the same backgrounds. It doesn't mean that we all have to be best friends and call each other every day. 
It just means that we can put away the knives and the swords and we don't have to hurt each other and fight each other and point out everyone's faults. It's brotherly kindness. Hey, when it comes down to it, when, when the, when the, I'll tell you what, what had happened, if there becomes religious persecution in this country, it'll help brotherly kindness a lot because we'll say, we'll stop saying, let's quit fighting each other and see that there's a real enemy. It's Satan, it's the devil. So many times we have so much blessing and so much freedom in this country that uh, we've turned on each other. And I'll tell you, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ are not the enemy. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. 1 Corinthians, I'm not going to go there, but 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a whole chapter on charity, a whole chapter on love. Look at, look at there in verse 7. And to brotherly kindness, this is to add brotherly kindness, and to add to brotherly kindness is charity. I think that's kind of interesting because brotherly kindness is, is, is just being kind, right? <laughs> but charity is what? Charity is love and action. It's a whole different thing when, you, when, when your brother or sister needs something and you meet the need. That's charity. It is helping when, when the people need it. It is, it is selflessness at its, at its core. The whole chapter, I, I encourage you all to read that chapter. I think as believers, as followers of Christ, we ought to read that chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, on a regular basis. You know why I believe we ought to do that? Because it, he says in that chapter... That if you're all these sorts of things, if you have all these talents and all these abilities and you do all these good things and you have not charity, it profits you nothing. He says if you do all this good stuff and all, but if you don't have charity, then it's nothing. And so if, that, if charity is that important to have in our life, then I think we as believers should read that passage from time to time just to remind ourselves what charity is. It's a great definition of what it is through that whole chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. By the way, on that, I hope we all read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But you know, I hope as we all are growing in our relationship with Christ, that when I bring a message or a Bible study, that it, that's, not, that's not the end of it. That we as believers, that we take some of the stuff and we go home maybe in Sunday afternoon or Monday morning or, or Tuesday at lunch and say... Let me read that. Let me read back over that first, second Peter chapter one. You know, grow. These, when we when when we have a message up here, teaching up here, that's not the that's not the, the with the full scope of all that we can get out of it. We can continue to grow in our relationship with Christ, and that's really what a relationship. But hopefully, the messages are just something to spur some thought to get us to get our 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 our, our just appetite. For the Word of God, an appetite for the relationship with Christ that would continue through the week. That's what it would be to grow, wouldn't it? That's what it would be to grow and to add to our Christian life. Charity. Look at verse 8. And here's the result. Here's the, here's the why we add these things to our, to our faith. For if these things be in you, and abound, that's a word you used as add and multiply, and abound, they make you 
that you shall not be what? Barren, nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know it would be sad? If we had the power of God in us, if we had the divine nature in us, if with Christ we can do anything, and we go through our Christian life and we are barren and unfruitful, wouldn't that be sad? I do believe the Bible teaches us that there's rewards in heaven. I do believe that. I do believe that one day we're going to stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ. Not the great white throne judgment. We have no danger of being uh, uh, everlasting damnation, but our, our works are what we do for Christ, not for our salvation, but for our rewards only. We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Wouldn't it be great if we uh, applied ourselves to the power of Christ in us and we were fruitful? We were fruitful. The Bible talks about a soul winning crown. The Bible says, He that winneth souls is wise. You know, so many times when you think of a soul winner, uh, so many people think of someone that goes and leads a bunch of people to Christ and preaches all these things, but nah, I, I think of a soul winner as, as the mother that's able to pray with her children, her grandchildren, and lead them to Christ. That's a soul winner. Can you imagine going through this life and being able to lead your children to Christ and grandchildren to Christ, maybe co-worker? Those, those, that, is, that is being fruitful. That is multiplying in Christ. Seeing those things, you know, pass on your relationship with Christ to those around you. If we don't, just a generation or two, Away, you know what? People won't know God. They won't fear God. Won't be good. We have to be fruitful. We want to be fruitful. How are we fruitful? By by being, you know, we want to grow. We want to grow. You know, the best the best way to see life is through growth, right? It is when. When you see the flowers and the fruits and, and all those sort of things, you know, you know what? You know it's alive. If it's got leaves on it, it's living, right? And so when you want that in your life, you want fruitfulness that shows life. The life that comes through Christ. We don't have to work for that. I, I, again, I, I'm, I am one of those, and I've told you this so many times, you and I do not have to work to put the fruit on the tree. We never have to do that. That's religion. Try and put fake fruit on the tree. All we have to do is add to ourselves the things that He says. Abide in Christ. Grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And, and the Bible guarantees that by growing in Christ Jesus, you naturally will be fruitful. Fruit will start to appear that will surprise you. And will surprise, you know, it's, it's not, a, it's a, the fruit is an effortless thing. It really is, it's a result of abiding with Christ. But abiding with Christ is an intentional thing. Adding to our faith these things is intentional. He says be diligent to do it. And then we'll become fruitful naturally.
There's nothing better than being fruitful. The Bible says in John chapter 15 that if we bear much fruit, the Father is glorified because of it. That's what we want for this church. We want to be a fruitful church. We want to be a church that is adding and abounding. We want growth. You say, what's, what's the vision for this church? That each and every person that attends, each and every person that comes is adding to the faith. That we are growing. You say, uh, is the vision for the church for us to, to grow in numbers? To get bigger in numbers? I, I, I would desire that, sure. But that is not the priority. That is not the priority. The priority is everyone that's here today and everyone that's here next week, that they are getting fed, that they are, get, that they are adding to their faith and as a result of it, that they're drawing closer to Christ. And as a result of that, you know where the fruit will be? The fruit will be in each of our individual lives. That would be the fruit of it. You say, do you want to grow in numbers? Of course we do. Eventually we're going to build a new church. We want to fill that. That's phase three of building the new church. But building a new church and filling the new church is not even close to our priorities. (laughs) You know what our priorities are here. The first is to glorify and honor Jesus Christ. The second is the Great Commission to see folks saved and be able to be uh, a, a, a simple but clear proclaimer of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And third is to edify the church. Meaning each person that comes to the church that hopefully they're growing. That the body itself ministers to itself. That each person that comes here can help each person that comes here. Wouldn't that be great? I, believe, I do believe that that's what the purpose of the church is. And that it can help itself and minister to itself with each of our own gifts and each of our own abilities given to us by the Holy Spirit. How would that look in your own life? I mean, wouldn't, if we had a church like that, and I believe we do, don't get me wrong, I'm just talking about a vision that what we have we can see grow and we can see even better. I do believe that there's brotherly kindness here. I don't believe that there's disunity. Thank God for it. You don't want that, and I don't want that. But, but it can grow, and it can even be better, right? Wouldn't a church like that glorify God? When He looks down and sees a, a local church that they love each other and they're fruitful, don't you think that that brings Him glory? That's our first purpose, right? To glorify Him. How would that look in our own individual lives? If we were intentional, diligent to add these things to our faith, to be sure that we're fruitful. Again, I think that we start adding and the Lord starts multiplying. We add a little here, we add a little there, and then the Lord doubles them. We add a little here, we add a little there, and then He quadruples it. We add a little here, we add a little there, and He just multiplies it. Does God do that? Does God multiply things? I've seen Him do it. He's done it. He's, that's one of His things. He has a way of speeding up our process. Draw nigh to God, and He will what? Draw nigh to you. I always say, you take the first step toward God, and He'll take a step toward you, and His step is way bigger than ours. 
I want to close by just reading a passage. A little different way to close tonight, but today. But Proverbs chapter 3. It's a familiar passage. But Proverbs chapter 3. Begin reading in verse 1 with me. My son, forget not my law. That's godliness. Remember that? Adhering to God's laws. Forget not my law, but let my, thy heart keep my commandments. That's godliness. Adding that to it. Why? Why? Why do that? For length of days and long life and what? Peace shall they add unto thee. Why do we follow the laws of God? Why do we keep those things? Why? Because that adds a good life. It adds peace to our life. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thy heart. Memorize Scripture. Memorize Scripture. Maybe pick pick a Scripture to put in your heart. Write it on the table of your heart. He says, trust in the Lord, verse 5, with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall what? Thy path. That's a promise, isn't it? If you, you say, hey, I've got two ways to go here. I've got a decision to make. Acknowledge the Lord in that. Ask Him for wisdom. And the Bible says He'll direct your path. Verse 7, Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. That's virtue, isn't it? Departing from evil. Why? From the fear of the Lord. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Hey, the, the fear of the Lord, departing from evil, is good for your health. It's good for your body. You don't believe me? Go, go, to, the, go, to, go to a jail or detox center and see with someone who has been in bondage to sin for a long time and see what it's done to their body. It destroys them. Verse 9, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruit of all thine increase so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of His correction. You know what? As a child of God, uh, when I do wrong, when I sin, I, I experience every now the correction of the Lord. But He says, don't be weary of that. Don't be sorry for that. Why? Because when the Lord corrects you, for one, that means you're His son or His daughter. That's a good thing. And two, he's, he's trying to bring you back in the right way, in the right path, where the blessings of the Lord are. Verse 12, For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom. You want to be happy? Find wisdom. And the man that getteth understanding, for the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver and the gain thereof of gold. Think about all the time we spend chasing after money. I mean, it, you know, we have to work. It's ordained of God. Don't feel bad about it. Don't be guilty about it. But honestly, think about the time we spend in just a given week uh, making money. Again, I'm not trying to make us feel bad. But he says here that wisdom and understanding is far more valuable than silver and gold. Again, sometimes our value system isn't the same as God's, is it? Verse 15, she is more precious, talking about wisdom and understanding, than rubies. And all the things that can be desired are not to be compared on her. Length of days is in her right hand. And in her left hand, riches and honor. I read all that to just say this. That if we'll add to our faith those things that the Lord, and be intentional in our growth, that it'll add to our life 
benefits. It'll add to our life happiness. It'll add to our life joy. It'll add to our life fruitfulness. 